0: Welcome back to Theatrically Speaking. It's almost a playwriting podcast. It's mostly a playwriting podcast. And happily, um, we are revisited again today by Lee Shackelford. Uh, Hey, Lee, what's going on?
1: How are you? And thank you for that introduction. Yeah, if you mean what's going on with me as a playwright, I'm I'm excited because as we record this, we're about to go into rehearsals for at... um, Miami University in Ohio. Um, They're about to start rehearsals for, get this, my audio adaptation of my stage adaptation of Carl Chapik's RUR, of which this year is the centennial. I don't know if if people know. So the word robot, Comes to us from RUR, and that means that the word robot is 100 years old. Wow. And um, and I'm super interested in in real robots, but also in uh, all their depictions on stage and screen. And it all begins with RUR. So I uh, wrote an adaptation of that, which has been produced all over the country, including uh, off Broadway. And um, um, but sort of since that time, uh, as a as a, a writer of you know, f- uh, fiction for performance. I've really gotten super interested in audio drama and because of the pandemic at Miami, they weren't sure they were going to be able to do this in a theater with an audience. So they asked me if I would mind, get this, if I would mind if they adapted this for, as an audio drama. And I said, would you mind if I adapted this as an audio drama? And why didn't I think of this before? That's what they're going to do. But the last I heard, they are thinking they are going to do this on a stage with a with an audience in the theater. But Hmm. in these pandemic days, who knows what will actually happen. But yeah, this is going to be a live uh, radio drama with sound effects being produced on stage and uh, during performance and so on of uh, RUR. Interesting. I think, yeah, kind of exciting.
0: Yeah. No, I mean, that sounds neat. Just, I mean, the, the, the origins of robot and then um, taking a play and uh, taking something, adapting it into a play and then adapting that into something else is always fun. It's always um, interesting to sort of watch these threads and see how things change over time.
1: Isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, And I, and, and I one of the things that is, is gratifying to me is that every time I get into this script, it gets shorter. And I love that because I've been trying over the years to teach myself better economy of word and image for the stage. And this, I feel like I must be getting it at this advanced stage in my life. <laughs> and I'm fine. Finally getting it that I will, it seems like I will always say something three times if it needs to be said once. And I'm, I'm now getting it down to having people only say it twice. Excellent. It's yeah, progress. It's progress. Yeah. It's progress. Exactly. yeah. <laughs>
0: Uh, well, so around once a month or so where we get together and we talk about a 10 minute play or a short piece of something that a listener has submitted. And this one that we're talking about today is Backyard Blues, Backyard Slash Blues by Nick Baker. It is a 10 minute play. If you, dear listener, have a 10 minute play or something like that, that you would like us to talk about. Go to actualstorypodcasting.com and there's information there on how to send it to us. Uh, So we're going to talk about a handful of things that are interesting to us about this play. And we sort of see these things. Lee has produced a pile of 10-minute play festivals. (laughs) I've done a a smaller pile, but uh, a small pile nonetheless. So I think that we do both look at these things not only as writers, but also as producers and wondering does this? Where would this fit in a 10-minute play festival? Are there things that make it easier to produce or harder to produce, Uh, in addition to just the nuts and bolts of the story and things like that? So I guess my first question for you is, and this sort of, I think, might get to the heart of this conversation, what is this play about?
1: Yeah, uh, and I think that is always the big question, that in 10 minutes, an audience is going to taken a story and then the lights go down and in the dark that sh- I think that is always what, whether we're aware of it or not, that's what we're asking ourselves. What was that about? Did I learn something? Did I, did I witness an event? Um, and this, this play, I feel like, uh, really, really wants to be death of a salesman, uh, in 10 minutes. And, I don't know if that's attainable or not, but I, I admire the I admire the ambition. The, I, I feel like the, the things that are being asked of Bruce are important, they're important questions to ask. Um, he's, um, he's my age and I, I understand the sort of legacy view of being in your 60s and saying, Wow. So what did I, what did I do in my life? And he has two people coming at him saying, you've made nothing but mistakes. Hmm. Um, Really? (laughs) Um, And that's, that should be heartbreaking. Yeah. Um, And, and uh, I have a lot of, a lot of questions. I think this play as, as currently written presents a lot of challenges, but I, I do think it really succeeds at that, but I think you would get to the to the that tenth minute and the last fade out, going, "Wow, is that me? Am I am I like that? Am I? Mm-hmm. Well, what do you think? Does that was that your experience of of it as well, or of what it's about? Um, yeah. So for for me,
0: it was it was interesting because it. Uh, so we have three characters. We have Bruce, who is a retiring CEO, mm-hmm. Franklin, the. Um, the ascending CEO of this, of Bruce's family's company, who's, and Franklin is not related. He's, a, he's an outsider. And then Pomegranate, who is uh, Bruce's wife, who is maybe also at this point realizing that she doesn't want to be in this marriage anymore to, to one extent or another. For me, the, the key of what this is about is tricky. There are a couple of different primary plot threads, there's the story of the, uh, the outgoing CEO, and then there's the story of his marriage. So I was trying to think of this as, because there are different stories here, because we can, we can put our fingers on this is a plot and this is a plot, does it then become a character piece because it's really about one person in the middle of different stories in a 10-minute play? And this sort of goes to what you were talking about before. It's like how, how much of Death of a Salesman is attainable in 10 minutes. Yeah. So for me, it was sort of like, I guess I have to look at this as a character piece, because you can't really say it's about one plot. But I don't know that that really holds up either, you know? So it's sort of like trying to shoehorn a character piece into a 10 minute with a number of things going on story-wise.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it, it presents a real problem. Yeah. And Franklin and Pomegranate both get to blast him with a monologue each, yeah, either one of which I think might be a great last emotional beat of the play mm. so to me, all that does is call attention to the fact that there's two of them <laughs> and go wow i I thought we I thought we ended already um yeah, Franklin's
0: monologue is. Like a, a third of a page ish. It's it's a good chunk. Maybe a little less than a third, and then pomegranates might be a quarter of a page. So these are sizable speeches. Yeah, I'm, I'm pulling does. it up now. Franklin's is it's half a page. Is it a uh, half? Yeah, it's uh they but they don't to your point, and, and my I guess my first issue with Franklin's monologue is that there's a lot of it that's supposition. Because there's a there seemed to be Bruce is an old white guy who's kind of stuck in his ways and he came from money and he has money. And and then Franklin is an African-American who was sort of like put down, put down in the company, put down in the company. Oh, wait, you're black. I guess you should be the replacement CEO because it's good for optics. And Franklin's speech here mostly accuses Bruce of having father issues that up until this speech, I'm not sure that I saw, or like, I didn't see clues for that. So like the, sure. like Franklin is, he's at a point where he needs to sort of let some of these things go and complain about things and accuse Bruce of, of stuff and, and let these emotions out. But he sort of hits on a thing that I don't know is really well foreshadowed and I don't know how well it's supported until the very end. So like even this like long speech doesn't quite work for, I'm not sure if it would work for me in the context of the rest of the play because Mm. it focuses on something that I don't see the rest of the play necessarily focusing on and Bruce doesn't rebut
1: it. So he's like, that's how we know it's, it's apparently true Yeah, (laughs) to me out of the blue. He says, your father and I have loved your duty. And then the audience were going, what? Yeah. <laughs> Wait, what? Cause I, this gets back to, to this thing about, um, the economy of, uh, of word and image that I, I feel is so important and that I'm, I'm really struggling you know, with myself as a, as a growing edge, but in society, in a polite society where you've been invited to your old boss's house for a cookout. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, unless it's established that for the audience's sake that there are different rules here than we're accustomed to. I feel like we, the, the rules that we anticipate apply. Palm and Bruce are in the middle of a fight when the action of the play begins. That may have been going on for years, but in any case, when I've been in that situation, mm-hmm. I don't comment on it. And I don't, I try to stay the hell out of it. And Franklin comments on it, which seems, which strikes me as odd he gets confrontational with his, with his old boss. And so that just makes me wonder why, why is he doing that? Because I don't understand the motivation to not just keep your mouth shut. Right. Because I feel like that's what we, we do. And so if, if, if you're gonna launch into somebody like that, I feel like there's gotta be a really, really good reason. And I don't see what the reason is here.
0: Yeah. I think to, to add to that, especially if you're in a, job where you're about to become the ceo yeah and and they mentioned having a board of directors and they mentioned like oh this is a big company and he's going to finally pop and accuse his former boss of having father issues like if he's mm-hmm. going to emotionally pop it's probably more to do with work or more to do with like uh the fact that they're they've sort of like hinted at like the reason he got this job is because he's black and because like that's, that's an issue. So it's like, it seems like there might be more, uh, that the, the thing that might finally cause him to explode this way, isn't accusing someone of something that you don't really have proof of. It's
1: the things that you do have proof of. Right. Right. Yeah. I, I really thought when he kind of hikes up his pants and says, well, here's something I need to tell you that it was going to be about what it, this may be 25 years of tokenism yeah. that Franklin has had to, um, uh, you know, endure. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know if that's really what the central thing is. He says, you've been you know a tremendous asset to me. And that may really be honest. You've been a great assistant to me. You've made things work. Mm-hmm. And then sort of, <laughs> um, piling on he says and you're black and your wife's latina i mean yeah so can't can't hurt <laughs> can't, yeah he says yeah. we're we're golden it i guess it just feels to, to you and me as as readers just like oh that's what this has been about all along isn't it yeah i her for hot dogs
0: <laughs> yeah and i okay oh so, thank you <laughs> yeah yeah And I want to, I actually want to talk about hot dogs for a minute, Um, but I want to, um, so regional customs. Yeah. Uh, I guess. Okay. I want to just, so there, there are some, some issues maybe with focus of the play, but I want to go back to like the, um, the first page, which is, uh, you know, our setting and our characters, uh, characters setting time notes for consideration and, I like having these pages. Like I read a piece recently for something else that didn't have this and I found myself lost <laughs> because like, wait a minute, five pages in and like, remind me of who these characters were and there's no page to go back to reference. So I like having these pages. Yeah. Um, so under setting, and this is, this is going to start as sounding like a joke, but then there's a real question behind it. Mm-hmm. Setting reads a cozy backyard in suburban Massachusetts, USA. So in this play, there's no mention of the state. It doesn't say, like, here in Boston, we do things this way. You know, there's no indication about the direct culture of their location. Yet the setting says it, says where this is. How helpful is that for you as a director or a producer, if, like, nowhere in the text it indicates where they are, But in the setting, it says, hey, we're in Massachusetts.
1: Yeah. And in the same way, because I've read 150,000 10-minute plays, um, when I see that a character's name something like Pomegranate, I think nobody's going to say it, are they? I can prophesy on page one. Nobody's actually going to say that. And sure enough, they don't. They call her by a nickname, which I think to the audience's ear, it's like, what is her name? Yeah, Pom. Her Her name is Pom? never heard it um so yeah it's the same kind of thing um you're you're wearing massachusetts because you said so right um i don't know it Um, seems it seems
0: like if you're producing this then and you have actors that can do a fun massachusetts accent sure do it mm -hmm. if you have actors that can do a fun brooklyn accent whatever like you can add location with performance because mm-hmm. it it's not really integral to the story. Right. And and so my sort of like almost jokey reaction to this was having lived in Massachusetts for two years, yes, there ain't no 60 year old rich CEO in Massachusetts that's eating hot dogs. They're eating seafood, <laughs>
1: mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> they're having a clam bake or they've got lobster boiling. Yeah. So like right away it was like, well, if this is Massachusetts, they're not eating like they're in Massachusetts.
1: Mm-hmm. I don't know, so which which the, may be yeah. a story point, but yeah, you you might want you might want Franklin to call him out on it, you know. Yeah, and so this is this is how you're rewarding me, or, or you're welcoming me on board. With... <laughs> yeah, you're feeding with the me hot dogs. Meat. Yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> exactly. I why? <laughs> yeah,
0: now it is Fourth of July. And so maybe Fourth yeah. of July, even rich people eat hot dogs. Okay, fine. Right. But I don't think so. It's I think, yeah, it's like uh, here's your your lobster hot dog. You know, that's right. That's Massachusetts.
1: Now, you know what it makes me think of is um, uh, how I learned to drive, mm-hmm. which references specific places, and I don't know if they're essential to the story, but they're in Maryland. Yeah. And growing up in the deep south as I did, I have I had read that play five times before I understood that they're not in Alabama.
0: Hmm.
1: And I and I teach that play, and my students all start out thinking that we're in the deep south, but we're not. And I think Paula Vogel is doing that on purpose. And I, I would love to. Ask, I should, while she's still around, I should ask her what to, what what the, what the thinking was about that, but um, it it flips some expectations for us, at least in the South. Yeah. Um, So, so as long as it's important, then yeah. But in this case, I don't, I'm not sure what it, what it signifies.
0: Yeah. Um, It's one of those things that kind of gets thrown out as soon as there's a reason to, mm -hmm. and you could also see this being produced a number of times and just no one ever thinking about where it is because it doesn't matter to the stories. I mean, I could see that maybe if you've named your daughter pomegranate 50 years ago, Mm -hmm. maybe you're a little blue blood. Yes. Maybe, maybe you did go to an Ivy league school, but there's Mm no plot story dialogue
1: indication of any of that. If, if if they're in the backyard of her family home, then this might, I'll start to connect, but yeah, we don't, we don't know. And you and I've talked about this many times before that because I did produce a 10 minute play festival for 15 years, I, I cannot read the scripts now without thinking practically about how we're going to do it as one of an evening of plays. Mm. And so I, I, I'm like you, I really appreciate a page like this that tells you who these characters are and what their relationships to each other, as long as the playwright understands if this also isn't in the script and we don't know that the audience isn't going to have the script, so they don't know. Um, but, um, but then when it says, here's what the set looks like, my instant, my gut reaction is no, it isn't. <laughs> I'm sorry to break your heart, but probably not. We are probably going to be on a bare stage. And then when you tell me that there's a fire, I say, mm. Oh, no, there isn't
0: <laughs> it, to, uh, you to roast anything? your hot dogs with. Yeah. Yep.
1: Yep. yep. And and actually to throw the, you know, there's a story point about throwing the hot dog in the fire. Mm-hmm. I think fake fire is going to look fake. I, you, I think you want a real fire. And this is the thing that I, I'm sure that uh, all of us who write, produce and direct have seen 150 million times is the writer forgetting that we're not making a movie. Mm-hmm. Um, this is going to take, a, this is going to take place inside a building with a fire alarm and um, you know, you're gonna set. You're gonna set off the, uh, the sprinkler system in the, the place, yeah. and fire is just a bad idea on stage. Yeah. So.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. I think uh, like I've always had, and maybe the answer to this is different in like a ten-minute play festival than in a fully produced full-length play
1: in a oh, big absolutely, theater. absolutely. It's
0: but yeah. I I see something like building a fire on stage similar to actually cooking bacon and eggs you know on stage having running water in the sink and Mm -hmm. and those kinds of effects where it's like you do those and it's easy for the audience to sort of break immersion because they start smelling bacon and they start thinking about something else they start seeing a fire whether it's well contained or not on a stage and no one's gonna start to look for the fire exits just in case No one's going to like break immersion in the play because of that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
1: But but you know better than most people that I probably my play that's been produced the most widely has people shooting guns and smoking and setting off dangerous (laughs) chemical experiments and things like that. So,
0: yeah. So I'd like to talk a little about this idea of uh, there's a certain kind of a story where things are happening to the protagonist and the the protagonist isn't necessarily proactive, you know, and um, Mm. we hear a lot about this in writing classes where it's like, Oh, this is your, your, your main character is too passive or something like that. And you can, you can have very effective stories in different mediums where things are sort of happening to someone. And in a story like this, where Bruce has done things at work that has sort of set up Franklin to now act. And he has done thing in his things in his marriage where he has set up his wife pomegranate to now act. But in these 10 minutes we're mostly seeing things happening to the protagonist and him not really responding or responding in a very weak way. Like, oh, don't you you don't love me anymore? Do you still love me? Well, let me tell you all about how you mistreated our son 3 years ago and I think like uh, maybe this idea of things happening to a protagonist as audience members, we can respond differently. Some of us might right away say like, ah, that's not really the kind of story I want. And other people are like, well, if it's told well, that's fine. That's a good story. Have you seen it done well in a 10 minute where the person at the focus of a 10 minute play is kind of passive and just letting things wash over them and the other characters are more active and kind of like they come in, they go out and there's someone in the middle, not really responding to the waves on the beach. Have you seen 10 minute plays that have successfully been structured like that?
1: I think that's a fantastic question. And, and I, and so pertinent here, um, cause you're right. As we get to the end of the play, Uh, one of the things I guess I'm asking subconsciously is, so what do they want? Bruce put this evening together because he wanted something to come of it, but what? And, And you're right. He doesn't really do anything. It is a play about things that happened to him, but what does Palm want tonight? What did, Franklin must have come there wanting to get this thing off his chest about, you know, you got daddy issues. Mm -hmm. Uh, so that happens, but I'm not sure why it happened and it doesn't seem to have had any effect. So, uh, yeah, it's a really, it's a really good question. Who are the people who are acting or active and, and who are the passive people and, and why? Mm -hmm. It it makes me think of the, 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 the Passover question, you know, the, the, so often comes up, especially in ten-minute plays, is you know, why is this night different from from all the others? Right. This is this is July Fourth. This is the night where something, the night pomegranate leaves him, the night that Franklin says, "You know what? I don't want your job." What do you think of that? You know, this is the night Bruce puts a bullet through his head. You know, but none of those things and i'm i'm of course you know writing a different play but yeah but things like that don't happen and the play is called has blues in the title which i think is probably supposed to signal to us that this is that these things are bad and they're not going to get resolved right that's the blues mm. <laughs> it's just wow this sucks
0: but at the same time it feels like these are issues right now that would maybe make a producer look at this and say I'm not sure where this fits in in my festival. Maybe it's not ready. Maybe it's something. But it also mm-hmm. feels like if we were going to... Uh, we, we assume that plays that are sent in for us to talk about the, the authors kind of know that there's an issue and that maybe they could tweak it up a little bit and, mm-hmm. and improve it. And it sort of feels like this one could be improved in maybe a draft or two just by thinking about why today... What does Bruce really want? And what is he actively going after with Franklin? Why has Franklin come there? And what is the thing that he really needs to say today? And it has to be today. And then what is the thing that has triggered Pomegranate's reaction to say, this is today and we have to have this conversation now. Mm -hmm. And so maybe it's that, if we sort of want to like shorthand some of that, all of these things that are happening, if we add a reason for it to be now, and if we add urgency for it to be now, it might fix a lot of these things. It might get Bruce up off the ground and active. We might understand where Franklin's coming from. We might see why Pomegranate wants to have this conversation today. I don't know. At least I would say like, maybe that's where you begin your revision is thinking
1: about the now. I I think that's, Spot on. I, I could not agree more. When I when I when I first read it, you know, gut reaction was I'd like to lose one of these characters because I think I would really like to see a ten minute play about Bruce and Franklin or about Bruce and Palm, but I just don't know if there's room for for both. And and why why try? Why when when there, when something more uh, intriguing and interesting can happen? Maybe this is the night when Bruce. Tells Franklin, "I'm stepping down, and you're the one who's going to be stepping up." Mm. You know, yeah. That's again, that's me trying to rewrite the play. But that's, but I think that's the kind of thing. Why? Yeah. There, why isn't this a a, a a play about the night when fill in the blank?
0: The the potential has all been set up, and now it's like, in the next revision, there's some clarification, and then that. That makes it more appealing to someone who wants to produce it. Yeah, you know, I think.
1: Yeah, there's so many interesting stakes. There's so, some some of the dynamics are so interesting. You know, mm-hmm. I just yeah, I, I, I want more of that. I want to know what what has what has made these people who they are and has brought them to this moment. You know, because it's it's I feel like it's it's in there, isn't it? It it, it just wants to express itself in this play. So.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I I think there are these things that we're sort of reading into it, like why exactly, why exactly the play doesn't answer that. And then when the play answers that, it'll be like, oh, okay, yeah, that works. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, we don't have a whole lot of time left, but I wanted to ask another couple of questions about this first page under the section uh, notes for consideration. So it says um, when a character's line reads, quote, ellipse. It marks a dramatic beat. This could be a rest, a moment of reflection, connection, regret, realization, humor, awkward tension, anything really. And there are lines that are broken out in the script. So the first two lines are, Bruce, nice night for a fire, Franklin, ellipse. So instead of writing beat or a piece of stage direction, if an action was necessary, Nick Baker has given the line ellipse. You don't see that so often in playwriting. Like that's a way of formatting that is maybe less traditional. Does that work for you? Would do you do you like that idea? Would do you appreciate that formatting?
1: I really do. And I I don't know if that's because I like authors of prose who do that. But I'm thinking of PG Woodhouse who of course wrote for the stage and so you know who knows which of those influenced the other. But to me, when we see dialogue, 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 and then suddenly somebody's line of dialogue is ellipses, <laughs> is hmm. dot, 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 What I, I feel the rhythm of the scene. And then we, it's, it's sort of like, it's your turn, and nothing happens. And, right. and I feel like that's what the playwright intends. It's like, okay, oh, <laughs> you're not going to say anything. Um, I like that better than seeing the word beat. Uh, so well, I don't know, that's just, uh, because, because I, to me, it's more suggestive of the rhythm of the scene.
0: Yeah. And, and we know as, as directors, as actors, um, sometimes we will choose to ignore a beat or we mm-hmm. will internalize it in a different way or something, but it's hard to ignore it when it's my line. Yeah. My line yeah. is silence, you know? Mm-hmm. Right
1: yeah don't 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 improvise something here
0: <laughs> right I wonder yeah. that's that's interesting i don't and I've never used this before, and I wonder i have to th- have to go back think see if it's appropriate for me to add that in somewhere
1: yeah you know I don't think I have either interesting <laughs> yeah. I't think about it, but I like it
0: uh the second note for consideration if a line is bracketed with double parentheses on both sides. It marks a character saying a line for themselves. It can be an aside; it doesn't have to be heard by everybody. Also, some formatting that you don't see very often. Um, normally, if you wanted someone to talk to themselves in the middle of a conversation, what would you you, you do? Sort of like a normal parenthetical, and say like to himself or mm. aside. Soto. Cool. Instead of marking the entire speech with double parens.
1: Yeah. I, I think this one I dislike as much as I like the other one. Okay. Because my gut is, if the audience doesn't have privy to it, then it shouldn't be in the play. I and, and this script actually ends, it feels to me like one of the most important things that happens in this play is that Bruce addresses his father. But if I'm reading the stage direction correctly, we can't hear it. So. That's- that's we interesting. No, that's what he's doing. And because I
0: sort of read that interesting. Okay. So this is an issue with something that, uh, a, a formatting th- technique that you don't see very often. People can interpret it in different ways and not know really what it means. Yes. Because I read yeah. it and assumed it was just a spoken mm-hmm. aside that mm-hmm. Pomegranate didn't hear. Yes. And then you read it and assumed. That he actually wasn't speaking at all—that
1: nobody can hear, right? Yeah. Well, he says he's saying the line for themselves, and I—it yeah. doesn't have to be heard by everybody. Mm. So, yeah, it, it, it is. It's open to both of those interpretations, but
0: because it says it can be an aside, it doesn't have to be heard. So, I guess it's up to the production whether or not it's spoken aloud or not. Mm-hmm. And if these lines here are not spoken aloud the dad thing really doesn't go anywhere in Franklin's speech because it never comes back. Yeah. Interesting. And that's what this, this is giving you permission not to speak these lines. Mm-hmm. Interesting.
1: Yeah. So you're giving a, a, a production, <laughs> you're, you're loading the gun and putting it to their head. <laughs> yeah. Poss- potentially, potentially, or, or, or you know, you, you could be working with actors and directors who, who know that the audience needs to have this information somehow, but I don't, I don't know. It just, it feels, it feels dangerous to me. It's dangerous.
0: That is probably the end of our time for today in talking Mm. about backyard blues. I mean, ultimately, I think it, it sounds like we're in a similar place where the core of this is really interesting, but maybe it's not refined. The refining it is just making it just answering the question. Why now? why all these things now and what is everybody's agenda and be very clear about that before the next revision I think so did you have any other thoughts or comments on this piece
1: you you tied that up very very succinctly good luck with
0: with your production uh, going into rehearsal tonight fantastic yeah Yeah. and um, we'll talk soon about someone
1: else's piece Yeah. Look forward to it.
0: Our theme song is Candy, licensed from the band Ketza. K-E-T-S-A music.com. Additional information can be found in our show notes and over at actualstorypodcasting.com. Thank you again, and we'll see you next week.